Good morning. Like you heard, my name is Barak. I'm one of the pastors here, and today I get the joy of opening up the Word of God for us as we share and as we continue with our series. But first, let me start by asking you a question. Have you ever lost an argument? Like, have you ever been in an argument with someone, and the whole time they're talking to you, you're, you don't have answers for what they're asking? And, and, and then... You get home and, and all the answers come. <laughs> Have you ever been in that situation where you're like, ah, I wish I could go back. I, I wish I could just go back one hour, two hours. Uh, have you ever been in that situation where you had a, a, an interaction with someone and all the words left you and then later all the words came back? And you spent the night replaying that conversation in your head, saying, if I could go back. <laughs> when I see them next time, and they ask me this question, and, and you replay that conversation over and over again. Or, or have you ever been asked a question, and even though you know the answer to that question, you also know that wisdom dictates that you do not answer that question? Like, if, if you grew up in an African household, your father or mother would ask you a question once in a while that even though you know the answer to, you do not dare answer. Like your father or mother would look at you and go like, are you calling me a liar? <laughs> Let me tell you, you, you could gather the wisest people on earth. You could put them all in a room and sit them down and tell them, you are the geniuses, okay? This is what my African father asked me. Please give me an answer. I promise you, there is no counsel of wisdom that has a right answer to that question. You could say as a brave person, yes, you're dead. <laughs> dead. He was a good boy. He used to live here. May he rest in peace. Uh, your picture will be the house. Or, or you could say, no, still, you're dead. <laughs> Either way, there is no way out. Wouldn't it be nice? to always know what to say, how to say it, and when to say it? What if, in the face of opposition, in the face of questioning, what if it was possible to always have the right words to say at the appropriate time whenever we face a difficult situation or opposition? That we don't go out of there thinking, I wish I said this. See, as we continue, to study through the book of Acts in our series, Love, Follow, and Share Jesus, we are in chapter 4. And in chapter 4, we, we get to a place where we see Peter and John facing opposition. They're being questioned. What happened in chapter 3 is this. A man had been born lame. From when they were a child, from when they were born, they had been lame. They had been crippled or paralyzed. And every single day, they were carried to the temple gates a gate called Beautiful, and that's where anyone who was passing, they would hope that this person would receive alms. And then they see Peter and John, and, and he asks for alms. And Peter and John say, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And he gives them something more precious than silver or gold. And then this man stands up, and not only does he stand up, he starts dancing, he starts limping and jumping and, and praising God. And because of that, people gather and start hearing the gospel, hearing the message of Jesus Christ, because Peter takes that as an opportunity to tell them, this Jesus whom you crucified, 
resurrected. And not only did he resurrect, he is the risen Christ. But then, as they do that, they face opposition. They, they face authorities who desire to stop this message of Jesus Christ before it could f- spread any further. Interestingly, this is the first time we see followers of Jesus facing opposition after uh, Jesus Christ has been crucified. And this passage reminds us that as we love, follow, and share Jesus, that we might face opposition. It might happen. Some of us, even in this room, some of us fear opposition, for we do not know whether we will have the right words to say to defend our faith. The example set for us in chapter 4 is of followers of Jesus who in the face of opposition are filled with the Holy Spirit's power. They respond graciously but boldly to official opposition to the gospel. This passage will unfold like a play. If you've ever gone to watch a play, a play is normally unfold in three acts, and, and it's the same thing that is happening here. Act one, we see the, the two guys getting arrested. Then we see act two, them being arraigned before a court. And then act three, we see this wonderful announcement that is made, both by these guys and, and a threatening announcement that is made by the Sadducees. And as we see their acts unfold, we will see how the opposition also keeps growing. However, in studying their example, we will notice that in opposition, we will see in every single opposition we face, God will provide an opportunity to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this amazing opportunity we have to just look at your word and to consider what your word has for us today. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts to hear from you. But not only to hear from you, Lord, I pray that through your spirit you'll give us the courage to do exactly what your word commands us to do today. Lord, I pray for myself that you'll give me the courage to step out of the way and allow you to minister to your people through your Holy Spirit for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Act 1, the arrest. The priest Acts chapter 4, verse 1. The priests and, and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. This is Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day, but many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. See, like I said before, it's unfolding like a play. Act 1, the characters, Peter and John, uh, they have just healed a man who had been paralyzed from birth. They offer him what they have, healing in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, and they follow it up with a powerful message. They tell them, this Jesus Christ whom you crucified is resurrected. And not only that, he is the only way for us to have salvation. He is the only one. And you guys, you chose a a terrorist over him. You chose a criminal over him. And now this is Jesus. Now this Jesus, this is what he has done. Peter and John, they are the good guys in the story. But in every story, there must be a villain. And so we meet the Sadducees. Notice in verse 1 and 2, this is what the Word of God says, the priest, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, of the dead. 
First of all, like true villains, they did not even wait for Peter and John to finish preaching. They actually interrupted them and, and caught them in between. They, they actually took them captive when they were preaching. They were actually provoked by the large crowd that had been gathered there to listen to this powerful message. You see, in Acts chapter 3, verse 11, this is what the Word of God says. While the man, the man who had been healed, the man who had been paralyzed from birth, the man who now was jumping and dancing and praising God, while the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. So much so that as they were sharing this powerful message, the Sadducees, they, they were offended by this and they interrupted the message. They, they came with their opposition right there and they had the two men arrested. Uh, but, but what did they say in particular that caused the arrest? What, what was it that caused the opposition, that caused that interruption? Allow me to paint a picture for you to let you know who the Sadducees were. The Sadducees were a powerful and religious and political group, but they were more political than they were religious. They actually wanted to do everything in their power to make sure that Rome continued to colonize Israel so that they could continue to, to get their parks. They also did not believe in the resurrection. They believed that once you died, you were dead, poof, nothing more, nothing less. That's it, you're done. And they did not believe in the resurrection. And then suddenly, there are two people coming up and saying that Jesus Christ not only is died on the cross, but also resurrected. And in Jesus, we have the resurrection and the life. These people are preaching a message that is completely contradictory to what the Sadducees have been taught and have been teaching all their life. Verse 1 and 2 says it this way. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Right there, we see what caused them to be offended or what brought the opposition. But also we see the opposition that Peter and John faced. They were immediately arrested for sharing that message. For some of us, many of us, that is the reason we are afraid to share the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ. Some of us might be afraid that we might get in trouble with the law, that we might get arrested for sharing the message of Jesus Christ, especially because of the region we live in. Let me just make this clear. One, there is no law in the land that prevents you from believing in Jesus Christ, none whatsoever. Two, there is no law in the land that prohibits you from telling others that you believe in Jesus Christ. None whatsoever. The law is that you shouldn't force anyone to believe in Jesus. You shouldn't convert every, anyone by force. And no one, none of us do that. Why? Because we came to Jesus freely and we hope that others will come to Jesus freely. So we should not be afraid to tell others about Jesus Christ because of the thought of we, we're going to be breaking the law. There is no law like that. But you will notice that even in the opposition that they face at this particular point as they are arrested, God himself created an opportunity for the gospel. The opportunity is hinted at in verse 3. This is what the word of God says. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. You might miss it. It's a short cluster of words. This is where the opportunity is. Because it was evening. So because it was evening, Peter and John were put in custody overnight until the next day. 
The reason is, as the Sadducees gathered them, they realized it was late in the day and they did not have enough time to gather their whole court, to assemble everyone, all the rulers, the high priests. They did not have time to do that. So they put them in custody overnight so that by the next day they could gather all these people. But where is the opportunity in that? Here is the opportunity. You see, God himself wanted to gather all the leaders of the land, all the religious leaders, so that they could hear the message of the gospel really, really clearly, so that they could be told by Peter and John that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. In short, God himself sets up his own appointments for the gospel. That's what he's always done, and that's what he will always do. And the question for us today is this. How many appointments of the gospel have we honored and how many have we missed? Think about it. When your car broke down and you had to, to rush to that meeting, so you, you called a taxi and the taxi came and, and you were caught in traffic for 30, 40 minutes and the whole time you're thinking about the meeting instead of thinking, this is an appointment God has set for this taxi driver who's never heard the message of the gospel. Therefore, God has appointed me to be in this vehicle right now to share the gospel. How many of us have done that? And how many of us have missed that opportunity? When you go to the salon to have your hair done and you sit there for 30 minutes, 20 minutes, 50 minutes, one hour, how many times have you told the person making your hair about the Jesus Christ who has saved your life? your guard at your building, every time you pass them by, do you miss that appointment that God has been setting over and over again? What about in that flight? That flight that all of us will take at one point or another because none of us call this place home permanently. Will you take that opportunity to share the gospel with someone? There's a couple at Creekside. They were going home this summer for, for the holidays, and, and they get into the flight, and this lady, the, the gentleman sits on this end, the lady sits at the center, and at this other end, there is another lady seated. And the moment they sit down, this lady starts complaining. She's complaining about everything, the AC, uh, the flight, how long it is taking, or how uncomfortable the seats are. And this lady at the center thinks to herself, oh my goodness, it's going to be eight hours of complaining. <laughs> and the moment she thinks that she feels it in her heart and remembers why she doesn't complain because she has Jesus Christ and she rejoices every day. So at that particular point, she turns to this lady and says, let me tell you about Jesus. And so she starts sharing the gospel with this lady. By the time the aeroplane starts taxiing out, they've removed their Bibles and they're reading the Bible together. By the time the plane is in the air, this lady became a follower of Jesus Christ. By the time they're landing in the Philippines, she's ready to be baptized. God... God set that appointment himself, and that lady honored it. How many appointments do we miss? Uh, let me tell you another one. <laughs> this lady in an office sneezes. And the moment she sneezes, someone else in the office says, God bless you. And this lady lifts herself up and says, tell me about this God who blesses me when I sneeze. <laughs> Three years ago, we baptized that lady. God sets his own appointments. Our role as followers of Jesus is not to live in constant fear of opposition. Our job is to be ready for every opportunity to speak. Because opposition will come. But opposition becomes an opportunity and oppression becomes God's open door for the gospel.
Verse 4 says this, but many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. You see, though Peter and John are arrested, the power of God's word is still at work in the hearts of many. This is the second time we're given numbers in the book of Acts. The first time is when we are told 3,000 souls came to the Lord, but at this time we are told their number has grown to about 5,000. And the reason we are told this is actually to remember one thing. Miracles happen in scripture for the glory of God. That's it. And, and the reason why we are told about this particular miracle is because it opens an opportunity for these many to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is exactly why we share testimonies. That is exactly why we tell others what Jesus has done for us. It's not so that we can glorify ourselves or glorify our church or tell others, look at what God is doing through me. It's so that others can see what God is doing and they can glorify God himself. People believed in God and Jesus. They did not believe in Peter and John. Okay? And in the same way we have as followers of Jesus, we share, we tell you about baptisms. We tell you about the growth that we are seeing and the hope that we will be able to open the third site. We tell you about the testimonies of people. We tell you about all these things, not so that we can say how so many people are coming to fellowship. That's not what excites us. What excites us is out of the people who come, one or two, or three or four, or five or six, get to hear the message of Jesus Christ for the first time, and they commit to follow him. That, that is what excites us. You see, the opposition that Peter and John faced was meant to frustrate the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Instead, it had the exact different opposite effect. Many were brought to the church on that day. Many came to believe in Jesus Christ. God used it as an opportunity and as a reminder that the message of Jesus Christ cannot, shall not, and will never, ever be stopped. But then after the arrest, we see them being arraigned in court. So we go to Act 2, the arraignment. Verse 5 says, The next day the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. See, Peter and John spent the night in custody and, and they're brought before this court to answer for their crime, what crime they have committed here. And look at verse 5 and 6 and see who is gathered there. The next day the rulers... The elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest family. It's a sense of intimidation. They've brought them here. They want to ask them questions. Peter and John are brought before this high delegation of a priestly family. And I think it's important for me to mention before we go so far that the book of Acts was written by Luke. Luke 
also happens to be the guy who, who wrote the Gospel of Luke. He was a medical doctor and a historian par excellence. He puts in details in his writing that is, is just not only historically accurate, but also extremely genius in how he writes. I've often said that Matthew is my favorite gospel, but Luke, Luke is my favorite author. And the reason he's my favorite author is because he does things like this. Let's go back to the book of Luke, chapter 23, verse 13 and 14. This is what Luke says. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, and said to them, this, this, by the way, Luke 23, is when Jesus is brought before Pilate, and these are the people who are gathered to, for the judgment of Pilate. So the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, and he said to them, you brought me this man, Jesus, as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence, and I've found no basis for your charges. If you go back to chapter 4, verse 5 of Acts, you will notice the next day the rulers, the elders, the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. Did you see it? Maybe, most probably, these were the same people who stood in the same place in trial for Jesus Christ. And they're the same ones gathered in trial for Peter and John. And so you can imagine... You can imagine how these two guys are feeling as they look at the same people who passed the judgment that made their Savior be crucified. You can know that, you can imagine that these two are thinking, we know exactly what happened the last time you Lord gathered. You, we know that when this council gathered last time, our Lord and Savior was crucified, and we know that you guys have the power and authority to do the same to us. They knew exactly what was at stake. The council asks Peter and John with what power, verse 6, Annas the high priest was there and so were Caiaphas, John and Alexander and others and, and asked this, by what power or what name did you do this? This, this is exactly the same as an African father looking at you and saying, are you calling me a liar? It's an impossible question to answer without getting in trouble. Remember, Peter and John are standing before the guardians of the Jewish faith, and in the face of it, it feels like they're being asked a legitimate question. By what power and by what name? You see, they, they could, this the religious council, they could have been concerned about what was being taught in the temple. But remember, they are speaking to the people who refuse to believe that Jesus is Lord, and thereby they had Jesus crucified. Peter has already told them, has already offended them. He said to them, you guys, you took a terrorist over Jesus. When Pilate said Jesus was innocent, you still had him crucified. That was in chapter 3. Remember, they are standing before a people who not only do not believe in Jesus Christ, they do not also believe in the resurrection from the dead. And so they know that this Jesus they're talking about, they had him crucified and they made sure of it. So in a sense, the moment they claim that they spoke under the authority and power of Jesus, they are coming in direct opposition to what the, oppos uh, the Sadducees believe. It's an impossible question to answer. But Peter answers. Acts chapter 4, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to this man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, notice, Peter responded to this question filled with the Holy Spirit. Such a comforting statement as one filled with the Holy Spirit. 
You might be wondering, why is that comforting? Why, why would that be comforting? See, for us to answer that question, we have to leave the book of Acts altogether and go to the book of Matthew to see the words Jesus spoke to the disciples, including Peter and John. And this is what Jesus says to them in Matthew chapter 10, verse 18 to 20. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. Verse 19, but when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Jesus tells them about this very possible future they're in, that there will be opposition, that you will be arrested and you will be put to question, but do not worry. Even if the questions seem impossible, the Holy Spirit will give you the words to speak. In the face of opposition, there will be an opportunity for God to fulfill this promise to us. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Instead, he will fill you and give you the words to speak. So this, this is what Peter testifies to them. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, notice again, Peter starts the conversation with a sense of respect and honor. He, say, he calls them rulers and elders of the people of Israel. Um, he, he, he wants them to know that he honors them. However, there is a sense of defiance because in verse 10, this is what he says, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. And in case you missed it, in case you do not see it, let us just read it out together. Just read for me the green parts as you answer these questions. Who did it? Jesus. And what did they do to Jesus? But what did God do? The one whom they crucified as a criminal had been confirmed as their Christ by the resurrection from the dead. Sometimes, sometimes as you live out your faith, as you share the gospel, some of the things you say, because the word of God declares them, some of the things you say will come in direct opposition to what others believe. We as followers of Jesus believe that Jesus is the son of God. There are religions that claim that God has no children and God is not a father. We believe that Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead. Some and other religions will claim that Jesus Christ did not even make it to the cross, that his body was swapped, someone else took his place. The Sadducees confirmed that it was him on the cross. Therefore, we know that because of this trial, for sure, Jesus was crucified. We believe that Jesus is the only way to the Father. Some religions claim that there are many gods and there are many ways to paradise. Everything we share about what we believe will offend other religions. Every opposition we face, however, is an opportunity to glorify God by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And the moment Peter says that it is by Jesus Christ, it's him declaring that not only that, but also God raised him from the dead. You can imagine the Sadducees. You can imagine the gasps. You can imagine the offense that has been caused. You can imagine the, 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 the danger that is in that room at that particular point. You can imagine the fear that maybe others have. Have you ever been in a situation where it needs tact and it needs, it needs gentle words for you to get out of trouble and then the person you have assigned to talk for you has neither? If I was there, if I was standing next to Peter, I would have been the guy pulling his shirt, telling him, be quiet, my guy. <laughs> I would have been the one putting my finger on his mouth. My guy, sh- yeah, you, you'll get us killed. You know what these guys can do. And Peter, because we know from Scripture, Peter never knows when to keep quiet. He, he's already answered the question. He has already done enough. He's already offended them enough. He answers a question he was not even asked. This is what he says in verse 11 and 12. It's like he's trying to offend them even more. He says, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. It's like he's trying to offend them. He declares that Jesus is God. See, by stating in verse 12, and let us read this together, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. In case you missed it, only God can save. And Peter declares boldly, whatever the consequences may be, that Jesus can and does save. Therefore, Jesus is God. And then we get to the announcement in Act 3. Verse 13 says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them again and commanded them not to speak or teach at uh, at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in the eyes of God, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who had been miraculously healed was over 40 years old. See, the council had to pass judgment and they they had heard the testimonies that they had asked of them and now they had to deliberate and decide the way forward. So verse 13 says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Remember earlier, we had, been to- we had talked about how intimidating that council must have been or how the intention may have been to intimidate them to, to stop the message. 
that maybe they, they had them stand maybe in their midst so that they could ask them questions from all directions. Uh, but that these guys are standing exactly maybe where Jesus stood maybe as well. And, and, and Peter and John, instead of them being intimidated, they are filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke with confidence. And the leaders concluded that these men had been with Jesus. They were behaving like Jesus had behaved and they clearly acted as if that Jesus whom they had crucified was still alive. Not only that, they failed to silence Jesus, but now they also were feeling like this, this message of Jesus Christ was now multiplying out of control through the mouths of, the, of his followers. See, some of us disqualify ourselves from sharing the gospel because we think we are not qualified enough to do that. That maybe you do not have the, the theological degree or the, the, the wise words or the great way to share the gospel or to share your faith. Acts chapter 4 verse 13 says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. What stood out for them was not even their testimony, but they had been with Jesus. Therefore, the question is for you as a follower of Jesus, do you know Jesus and have you been with him? See, you do not have to know everything. You do not have to have the most amazing words or the clever rhymes or the most memorable ways of sharing scripture even. All you need is for you to have been with Jesus. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you. I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The question is, therefore, do you know Jesus and have you been with him? Jesus is the one who saves. It's not the amazing words we might share. It's not the eloquence of speech. It is Jesus who saves. It is not the miracles. It is not the signs and wonders. It is Jesus who saves. Remember in verse 12, and we have already read it together, Peter says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Miracles, they are great. They help demonstrate the power of Jesus Christ. But miracles will not save you. See, in a room this big, with guys online and guys in different rooms as well, just watching this message, there are some who believe in Jesus. But there are some who are still on the fence. There are some who are still there thinking to themselves, I'm, I'm still on the fence, I still don't believe. And maybe you say this to yourself, or you know someone who says this, if only I could see a miracle, I would believe in Jesus. Could I submit to you that Acts chapter 4 verse 14 suggests to us that this is not true? Verse 14 says, but since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. They saw the miracle, believed it to be a miracle, but refused to believe in the Christ who caused the miracle. See, the problem is not of the mind, but of the heart and the will. And belief is not because of a lack of facts, but because of a condition of the heart. The crippled man who was healed stood by, 
How could they deny the power of God? He was living proof, but they did. How have you convinced yourself or what have you convinced yourself is keeping you from believing in Jesus Christ? How have you hardened your heart? Because I promise you, it could turn and Jesus could do it for you, but still you'll choose not to believe because it's not about facts, it's about how you've hardened your heart. So they order Peter and John to leave the room so that they could deliberate. In verse 16, we, we see them making this declaration. Everyone knows that they have performed a miracle and a sign and they cannot deny it in any way. And then verse 17 and 18, they decide that they have to stop these people from telling others about what Jesus has done. You see, opposition will always offer you a choice. It might not be clear at first, but opposition always gives you a choice. And in the face of it, it seems that the choice Peter and John have is if, if you continue to speak or preach in the name of Jesus, there will be consequences. In the face of it, that seems like the opposition. But every single time that you face opposition in your faith, ask what is the consequence that is hiding behind the consequence presenting itself. See, maybe it is through the Holy Spirit or maybe Peter and John see right through the opposition. So in verse 19, they clearly respond to the real consequence. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him. You be the judges. You see, the enemy is too clever to come to you and tell you, I want you to disobey God. Instead, he'll present you with an immediate consequence that seems extreme enough in the hope that you will miss the real consequence. He'll tell you things like, if, if you continue to tell people about Jesus, you might get arrested. If you tell others about your faith, you might lose your job or your promotion. If you want this deal to go through, if you want your business to succeed, you cannot talk about this Jesus fellow. Those are all smoke and mirrors, distractions from the real consequence. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him, you be the judges. It's such a brilliant question. They're talking to the religious rulers. They're talking to the ones who know that they should guard, about, they should guard people to follow what God has said. They should always direct people to follow the will of God. They should always tell people, obey God, not man. And so Peter and John remind them what they already knew. And also they remind us what we already know. Matthew 28 verse 18 to 20 reminds us of this great commission that we have. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus Christ has commanded us as followers of him to always go and share the gospel. It's the great commission, not the great suggestion. We have to go and share the gospel. He also promises that he will be with us as we go, no matter the opposition. See, you might be wondering, how do I even start sharing the gospel? Where do I even start? Do you know what keeps most people from fulfilling the Great Commission? Do you know what keeps most people from sharing the gospel? Here are four reasons why people give. Four reasons people give for not sharing the gospel. One, 
I'm afraid the last questions I can't answer. I'm so afraid that as I tell them about Jesus, I might be asked a question I cannot answer. Two, I struggle with my own faith. How can I tell others about Jesus when I am struggling with my faith and this person knows my struggle? Three, I never learned how to share the message. I never learned. Four, I don't even know how to start that conversation. Peter and John give us an amazing answer to this. All the four questions, all the four reasons, they give us an amazing answer. They say this in verse 20. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. See, no one could argue with their story. Their testimony was secure because they knew what they had seen. Remember, this is the same Peter who had denied Jesus three times before the cock crowed. But Peter saw Jesus crucified and also saw him resurrected, and he knew what he knew. The crippled man, he knew he had been crippled for more than 40 years, and now he was dancing and jumping and praising God. He knew what he knew, and no one could argue with that. What is your story? Where did Jesus get you from? You know exactly what Jesus has done for you, and no one can argue with your story. We would love to equip you, to enable you to be able to share your story. We don't just tell you, go out there and share your story. We want to make it easier for you to do so. So if you go to our website, fellowshipdubai.com forward slash story, you will find a, a short tutorial. It's about nine minutes long. It's really, really easy and it's practical. Uh, it's easy for you to do. Just go through it and it will show you how to write your story about what Jesus has done for you. It's really, really simple to do. But not only that, we'd like to ask of you to take it one step further. We'd like to ask of you not only to, to watch it and write your story, but we'd love to ask for you to, to record your story. It doesn't have to be cinematic quality. Just record it on your phone. That's totally fine. We'd like to ask you to do one more thing, just one more step, one more step. If possible, on the same page, there is a place where you can send that video to us. We would love to see what Jesus has done for you, and with your permission, we would love to share it. Actually, let's take it a step further. You share it yourself. Just put it on social media and tag us. We would love to see what Jesus has done in your life. I'd like to show you a sample of stories we've gotten over the years. Uh, this is just one of a few stories we've put together. Let's watch and then I'll come to close. There was a time in my life wherein I was empty and shallow. I was lost and had great anxiety. Have um, hate and resentment toward people, toward men in general. Didn't have much confidence about myself. I easily get angry, I get irritated, I don't have patience. I felt like I didn't have any purpose. I felt so demotivated, so confused, so conflicted. I was so lost and alone. Now I can forgive people, I can love people. I will see that now with Jesus, my life has meaning. I discovered that you love me for who I am. Now I am secured with Jesus. He will never leave me nor forsake me. I have that confidence and I can say that I am a child of God. I just knew that there was someone above who was guiding me through this life and I had never felt more secure. Right now, I focus myself in becoming a believer as I go along with this journey with him. The two words that would best describe it would be uh, peace and purpose. My two words when 
I reunited with Jesus is that he gave me hope and um, peace. When I met Jesus, I feel love and confidence. Do you have a story like that? Do you have a story like that? If you don't have a story like that, please don't leave this place today. Come, let us talk about who Jesus is and what he has already done for you. Please do not go out of this room without having a conversation with someone about why you don't have a story of salvation. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray, Lord, that you'll give us the courage and the confidence to tell others about what you have done for us. And Lord, we will share the story of what you have done in our lives. Lord, I want to, to pray for, for those of us in this room who believe in you and who ha have struggled to honor the appointments of the gospel that you have set. Lord, I pray that in your mercy you will reset those appointments this week and give us the opportunity to, to honor you and to honor the people who you, you bring to us to share the gospel with. But also, Lord, I want to pray for those who have come here and that is their appointment. They've never met you, they've never known you, they've never committed to follow you, but today you are pulling at their heart. Lord, I pray that they will not leave this place without committing to follow you. That, Lord, they, they will experience the salvation that comes from knowing you. But all of us, Lord, as we, as we close this service, I pray that we will continue to, to rejoice in, in the power of what you have done, in the knowledge that your gospel cannot, shall not, and will never be stopped. For your glory and our joy in Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you.